Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is taken from the reading we heard in the Gospel of John. You may be seated. And we begin with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this exciting day where we have a number of our students confirming their faith in you. For as we gather here every week at the saints, as the saints of your church, we weekly confess you are our God and we are your people. We pray now, Lord, that you would continue to make us bold in this confession and allow us to hear your word in faith today. Grant us your Holy Spirit so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our, our, our rock and our redeemer. There is a real problem with the way we think about confirmation, uh, I think, in the church these days. Too often we equate confirmation with graduation. And just look at the way we're going to do this here today. If you're to stick around for the second service, I know you've got more important things to do today than watch children confess their faith in the Lord. But if you stick around uh, for the second service today, there's your manipulation. Um, you're going to see them parade in. They'll be in robes. We're going to give them certificates. They're going to make uh, a statement in front of everyone, give a little speech. It's going to look like a graduation ceremony but it is anything but a graduation ceremony. In a graduation, what you do is you take the knowledge you have learned in a particular institution and you move on from that and you go out into the real world with your knowledge to begin something new. There's an ending of one thing and the moving on into a new thing. But that is not at all what confirmation is. Because you see, you never graduate from the faith. You never graduate, for heaven's sakes, from the church. Now, the students today certainly are done with their confirmation classes. They don't have to come back here on Wednesday nights anymore to do more classes with me. But what they are doing today, rather than graduating, is they are standing up before the church. And they are confirming, not that they are graduating from the church, but that they are a part of the body of Christ. That they faithfully belong to the church. They're standing up to confess that they belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they believe what they received in their baptism is theirs, that Jesus who promised to be their Savior is their Savior, and that they trust him to be their God and their Lord. They are confirming their faith. What happens at confirmation, and frankly, what happens for all of us, whether we're confirmed or whether we show up here on Sunday morning, what happens for all of us when we come to church is we're recognizing that the Holy Spirit is fulfilling a promise for us. There's a great promise that the Spirit makes to us through the words of St. Paul in the book of Philippians when he says this, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, at your baptism, this is what the Lord did. He began the work of salvation in you. At your baptism, you were crucified with Christ you were raised to a new life. And the Lord Jesus promised you that he would be your God and you would be his beloved people. You belong to him. And when we gather here for worship, whether we're seeing students confirm their faith or whether we're confessing our faith together, what we're seeing here is evidence that God is being faithful to his word. He's doing exactly what he said. So that as we gather here, the Holy Spirit is at work. As Luther says in the small catechism, to make us his own 
and we're confessing that we believe this to be true, and we're not confessing this by our own reason or strength, but because the Holy Spirit has called us by the gospel, enlightened us with his gifts, sanctified us, and kept us in the one true faith. Here in this church, God remains faithful to his promise as he daily and richly forgives you for all of your sins, and he sustains you into everlasting life. He promises to return on the last day and to raise us up from death and usher us into his eternal joy and his eternal glory. He who began this good work is faithful. And he will bring it to completion for you. Now, in the meantime, the Lord Jesus still has a lot of work to do on us. The Holy Spirit uh, is still doing a lot of work on us. And he is guiding us through this life of faith to serve him faithfully in this world. And if we're going to look for a word that defines the life of faith for us, if we're going to look for a word that sort of lays out what it means to live as we wait for Christ's return, the Lord Jesus gives us that word today. And that word is love. Listen to what Jesus says. New commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Christians, this life of faith is one that is lived out of and lived in love. Now, Jesus tells us today there's two ways we need to think about this life of love. There's two ways, uh, two uh, significant ways in which this love is to be understood. And the first way we think about love is in a sense, passively. We think of love passively, that we are passive when it comes to love in this relationship we have with God. Now that's a weird thing to say because love is an active word. Somebody does the loving. When somebody loves, they are very active in how they do this. But in our Christian walk, before we ever talk about the activity of our own love, we must always focus in on the love that God has for us in that we don't work for, we simply receive passively as a gift. God is the one at work. He is the one primarily doing the love. And so Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. So we start with his love for us. And you have to remember when Jesus spoke these words. He said these words that we read today on Monday, Thursday. He spoke these words after he had shown the sort of love he had for his church when he washed the feet of the disciples and then gave them the Lord's Supper. That night, Jesus washed off the muck in the mire. He served them in the lowest possible way. And then he served them, giving them his body, giving them his blood in the bread and the wine, the body and blood that were soon to be offered up on the cross for their forgiveness and for their salvation. There on that night, Jesus showed his love for his disciples by washing and by giving. And lo and behold, that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ does for you. This is how he shows his love for you. He washes you clean with his word when he declares to you that all of your sins are forgiven. And they are forgiven. That's how he's washed you clean. He uses the water of baptism. He uses his word. He uses the sacrament up here. He uses all of this to wash you clean of your blood of your sin with his blood. And then he invites you to a meal where he gives you the very same body and blood he gave to those disciples on Monday, Thursday. 
you to eat and drink for the forgiveness of your sins and to sustain you into everlasting life. In this relationship you have with God, he is always finding ways to love you, to wash you, to forgive you, and you are simply receiving all of this as a pure gift, as we like to say, by grace alone. So The life of faith is one that is lived where we are beloved, probably the right way of saying it. We receive love. But then, of course, this beloved life begins to produce fruit in the Holy Spirit, continues not only to work on us with the love of Christ, but he then begins to work through us with the love of Christ. And he calls us then to go forth and show our love to one another. Now, there's ways in which we are called to love in this world, and there's a lot of ways and places we're supposed to love. In all of our relationships, in all of our vocations, in our responsibilities, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, God calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves. But specifically today, in this particular text, Jesus wants us to focus on the love we have for one another within the church. He wants us to think specifically about the love we have for each other as his disciples. Listen again to his words. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, on this Confirmation Sunday, I will be reminding the students in the next service that this call comes to them. That by confirming their faith in Jesus, they are saying that they are a part of the body of Christ here at Community Lutheran Church. And they are called by Christ to love this body, to care for everybody God gives them. They have that responsibility. But I don't want to just think about their responsibility to the church. Dear church, I want you to think about your responsibility to the students. Jesus Christ has called you to love them. You have a responsibility towards these students because, you see, they are not graduating and moving away from you, but rather they are confessing that they are a part of Christ's body here with you. You have a responsibility to pray for them, to check up on them, to teach them, to listen to them. When they cry, you are to weep with them. When they laugh, you are to find joy with them. You are to serve them and serve alongside of them for the sake of their faith so that they can continue to grow in their love for the Lord Jesus Christ. These are not just kids in our church who are getting confirmed. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ who need you to love them. And you need them to love you. And it's so important because we have this, this big problem, I think, going on in our culture where we've decided, we love to like distinguish between everybody in our culture. We divide over everything. We divide over politics. We divide over uh, the color of our skin. We, we make all these divisions and distinctions. And one of those divisions and distinctions, which isn't really sinful or wrong, but we have this problem where we sort of are addicted to demographic studies. And we define everybody by their demographics, right? So you got the boomers, and you got the busters, and you got the millennials, and you got Gen X, and you've got the I generation is the new one, I guess. And we decide to like distinguish among ourselves in this way. And then the older generations start to complain about the younger generations. Well, those millennials, you know, they're the real problem here. Oh, the I generation, they don't know how to have a normal conversation. And on and on we go. And the problem with this stuff is that it gets into the church. And we start to complain you know, that the younger generation isn't coming to church any longer. And then, when they do show up, we complain about them behind their backs when they don't think that we're listening. 
We see them as a problem to be figured out. We talk about the younger generations as though they are a puzzle that has to be put together, a science experiment that we have to dissect so that we can figure out how to heal it. And in none of this do we look at them as brothers and sisters in Christ to be loved. I think it's our church's job to reverse the trend. Like we don't need to look at each other and define each other by our generational demographics, but rather by our baptism. Here in this church, there are no boomers or Gen Xers or millennials or I-generationers. There are baptized brothers and sisters in Christ who are all struggling with sin, who are all on a different part of the path on their way to everlasting life. Some of us are earlier on this journey. Some of us are later in this journey. All of us here are facing our own sorts of joys and struggles, sins and celebrations, and all of us need one another in this place to show forgiveness and mercy, grace and love, regardless of our age. But I will say this. The younger generation very much needs you right now. Because they're confirming their faith in a world that's not all that impressed with the confirmation of the faith. In a world that's not really impressed with the faith at all. But in fact is growing more and more antagonistic towards it. These students are confirming their faith in the word of God, in, the, in Jesus Christ, in a world that tells them that it's foolishness to believe the Bible. They're confessing their faith in a world that says you are full of hate if you view an embryo as a person. That you are bigoted if you celebrate the unique beauty of the marriage between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. That you are closed-minded if you say there is only one God. They're being brought up in a world right now that is working harder and harder to create racial divisions among people that seeks to define the value of a person based off of the color of their skin and sees their worth based on where their ethnic heritage is from. They're being taught to hate even still. They're being brought up, they're confirming their faith in a world where you are mocked and told you believe in myths if you confess the Trinity, if you believe that the Bible is historically accurate, if you trust in a Jew who died on Friday and rose again on Sunday. And then you live in a world, then we live in this world where we are taught when people oppose you on these things, when they, when they push back against you on these things, you know the right way to respond is to fight fire with fire, to belittle, to hate, to spit vitriol back so that you can keep your power and maintain your privilege. And in all of this, Jesus said, the world should know you a little bit differently. Not a little bit. Jesus says the world will know you completely differently from me. They will know that you belong to me and that you are my disciples by your love. Dear church, we have a responsibility to these students to show them this love. To pour into their lives. To sacrifice of ourselves for their sake so that they too can know this love. To sacrifice of ourselves for the sake of everybody here so that we all share in this love. And when we start to treat one another this way, when we start to love one another in the way that Christ has loved us, what we start to see is this sort of thing starts to bleed out into the world. And we start to show that love towards those who oppose us. We start to love the way that Christ loves. But we, 
this sort of love begins to foster prayers and cries for a world that is so full of hurt and so full of hate. We learn to love in such a way that we love our enemies, that we pray for those who persecute us, belittle us, and harm us. Jesus teaches us when they strike us on the cheek, we give them the other cheek and we pray for their good. I know this seems impossible to do such things. Christ has done the impossible, hasn't he? This is the way Christ has loved the world. And think about it. This is the way that Christ has loved you. He has overcome your sin. He has overcome your evil. He has overcome your hatred with his forgiveness, his grace, and his love, his sacrifice for you. So on this Confirmation Sunday, it is good for us to remember the life of love which Christ has called us. A life where the Holy Spirit is at work in us and through us to show the love of Christ and to proclaim his forgiving mercies to the world. This Holy Spirit who daily brings us back, weekly brings us back, and richly gives us the forgiveness of our sins when we fail and we fall short and we're not nearly as loving as we should, the Holy Spirit is always at work in us to bring us back to this church where we receive the forgiveness of our sins and the promise again of everlasting life. To live this life of love where the Holy Spirit sustains us in this love into life everlasting. But more importantly on this day, we should not just focus on our call to love others, to love the church. We should truly focus in on the love that Jesus Christ himself has for us. For Jesus Christ has confirmed his love for you. When he bled for you, when he died for you, when he rose for you and he baptized you and he called you his son. This is the promise that Jesus confirms to you again today. You are forgiven. You are beloved. It is that promise upon which we stand. Amen. We pray. Heavenly Father, we pray today for our confirmation students. Keep them in your care, O Lord. Watch over them with your mercy. We pray, God, that you would sustain them in the one true faith into life everlasting, despite all that would try and draw them away from you. Lord, we pray that as a church, this would be a place where we would all know your love, your love which strengthens and sustains, your love which never lets us go. Lord, we pray that you would teach us to love one another just as you have loved us. In your name we pray, O Lord.